through 25 seasons. Hey! 4,561 episodes. I believe the Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the LOLs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. Mother of two, Barbara Sheehan, was a devoted wife of 24 years. She worked as a school secretary and enjoyed attending her neighborhood church. Today, 48-year-old Barbara is just months away from facing a jury, a jury who will decide if she should spend the rest of her life behind bars. When I first got married, I thought that I was gonna have a great life. I thought he came from a good family. We went to the same church, we had the same beliefs, and we wanted to have children, and everything was really good. Uh, my daughter was born about two years after I was married. After my son was born, things started to change. He started to get very, um, he, he was very violent. Everything was my fault. If we went somewhere, there was traffic, it was my fault. He was physically abusive. He was emotionally abusive, psychologically abusive. He used to push me, shove me. He would step on me, kick me. Barbara says she never filed a police report against her husband for one reason. I was unable to go to the police with the abuse because he was the police. And he let me know that all the time, that no one would believe me. I have the badge. They're going to believe the badge. Anytime I went to the doctor or the hospital, I always protected him. I always said that, you know, I did this to myself. I was clumsy. I fell. One night I made um, marinara sauce and he took the whole pot and he poured it right over my head because he decided he didn't want marinara sauce today. It was that pot right over there. I obviously cried and, and he just walked away and he said, now clean it up and, and, and make me something to eat. <laughs> Barbara says family vacations were the most frightening times with Raymond. He would drink a lot on vacation and he would get even more violent. I mean, he came very close to killing me in Jamaica. I have stitches that run from my forehead all the way into the back of my head because he took the back of my hair and he pounded up against the cinder block walls of the room. And that was because I woke him up. He was always armed, always had two guns on his waist and on his ankle. My biggest fear was that he was going to kill me. And after he killed me, he was going to kill my children. Barbara says a fight over a trip to Florida was the breaking point. In the morning of the incident, he was in the bathroom and I came up the stairs, these stairs to tell him that I couldn't go to Florida with him and that I definitely didn't want to go. He had a gun on the counter right, right next to the sink while he was in the bathroom. And when I looked in the door, he picked up the gun and he aimed it at me and I was sure that he was gonna kill me. So I ran down this way to get away from him. In my room was the other gun. So I grabbed it and I thought to myself that he wouldn't shoot me if I had the, a gun. So I went by, and as I went by, he came right at me from the door, and he went at me with the gun, and I thought that he was going to shoot me. And so <laughs> I took the gun that I had, and I shot him. 
Well, Barbara shot her husband 11 times that day. She pled not guilty to second-degree murder. Her trial is set for this fall. Barbara is currently out of jail on a million-dollar bond, and she is here. Highly unusual that you would be able to talk to me. Why did you want to talk to me? Well, I think that it should be known that people need to get out of relationships immediately when something starts. You felt there was nobody to turn to? I, I tried to get out numerous times. I tried to call the police. Several times I used the, the phone and I picked up the phone to dial it and he would take the receiver out of my hand and punch me in the head with the receiver and tell me that, go ahead and call them. And when they get here, who are they gonna believe? I'm a sergeant. They're not gonna believe you. Who are you? They're gonna believe me and they're not gonna do anything. Mm -hmm. So who did you tell through this? Because how many years did this go on? It's, it was going on for um, probably about 16 or 17 years. 16 or 17 years. And what does that do to your spirit, to the spirit of you? Oh, my, my spirit was just shot. You know, he was just very, very controlling at the beginning, very, you couldn't, I couldn't go to the store without showing him cash register receipts. So he saw um, what time I went to the store, what time I checked out, what time I, I left the store, and then how much time I had to get back home again. I couldn't take my children on play dates when they were little because he would be calling to make sure that's where I was. Mm -hmm. And he alienated me from a lot of friends that I had mm -hmm. because he wanted the control. Was there a time where you thought it would get better? Well, at the beginning, I did think it would get better. He would apologize at first and mm -hmm. say he was sorry, mm -hmm. send roses. Mm -hmm. He always blamed it on the stress of his job. But after a while, he stopped apologizing, and he, it was always my fault. So why were vacations worse than other times? Vacations were worse because I, I believe because he felt he was, had me alone, away from family and mm -hmm. the, friends, the few friends that I had. Did, did, did your family members know? Had you told anybody in the family? Um, just uh, several months before this, there was an incident with family members, and he actually came at me, and they knew at that point. So let's go back to the day of the shooting. You said <laughs> you saw the gun on the counter. You ran down the hall. You got the gun. Did he come at you with the gun? He had one gun in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. He always had a one, he had two guns all the time that he carried with him. Mm -hmm. One on his ankle, one on his waist, every time he went anywhere. This even day, to the bathroom? Even to the bathroom, mm -hmm. yes. But at this particular day, he only had one in the bathroom with him. It was on the counter. Mm -hmm. And when I came up the stairs to explain to him that I didn't know what we were gonna do because I, I just couldn't go on this vacation, he came at me with the gun that he had on the counter. Came at and you how? He raised the gun and he aimed it at me and he told me he was gonna kill me. And I think that he was at the point, the breaking point, that he was going to kill me. Mm -hmm. So I ran down the hallway, away from the bathroom. Mm -hmm. When I got into the bedroom, the other gun that he normally ca carries was laying there. Mm -hmm. And my thought was if I couldn't get out of the house without passing the bathroom because the way the stairs were. So I got the other gun and I came down the hallway with the gun in my hand and I thought that if if I passed the doorway and he saw that I had the gun, that maybe he would back down and not hurt me. Did and you really think that, having been beaten I, by this man all these I, years? I didn't know. I never held a gun in my life. I never picked up a gun. I never touched it. Mm -hmm. I just thought that maybe he wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And I ran by the bathroom door. And as I ran by, he came at me with the gun he had. Mm -hmm. And I had no choice. Mm -hmm. <sighs> so you raised the gun and shot him? 
11 times. <laughs> I never would have believed it was 11 times. It happened all so fast. Mm -hmm. I never raised a gun before. I didn't even know how many times it was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you shot him, he fell, obviously. Did he not fall the first time, or is that why you kept shooting? He fell, and after he fell, after he fell, like, the gun that he had in his hand was on the floor, mm -hmm. and I realized what I did, mm -hmm. what happened. Mm -hmm. So I went in to help him, because mm -hmm. I, I, I couldn't believe what I did, and I went in to help him, and he went to get the gun, and he went to shoot me again. And I picked it up and I just shot it. I see. <sighs> so you then fired again at him because he was going to kill me. He was going to kill you. Okay. Barbara's children, Jennifer and Ray, told my producers that they both lived in constant fear, watching their dad abuse their mom for years. And Ray is taking his college finals today, and Jennifer is here. Were you surprised to hear that this ended this way? I was so shocked. Mm -hmm. Never in a million years did I imagine that, that it would end like that. Mm -hmm. When I got a phone call that I heard something was ha that had happened, I was sure that he had hurt my mom either really severely or had killed her. Mm -hmm. So did you always think that your father would end up harming your mother? That's what I thought, though. Yeah. He, w he did harm her for 17 years. For 17 yeah. years. Do you ever remember a time when they weren't fighting or? He wasn't abusive? If they weren't fighting, there was no conversation. There was, it, there was silence, and it, there was always tension, and there was always emotional and, and verbal abuse, always. Always. Were there times when you tried to protect your mother? There were. When I was younger, I would try to art, fight back with him and say, why are you doing this? You need to stop. You know, leave us alone. Just, just leave. Just get out. Yeah. But then that would make things worse. Yeah. So I learned as I got older to bite my lip and keep and, my mouth shut, because if I said something, it would get worse. Is it true your father had pulled a gun on you at one time? He, ha he had a gun out, yes, mm -hmm. around us. And he locked us in my bedroom, me, my mother, and my brother, mm -hmm. and told us that if, he, if we were to come out, if we were to even open the door, he was going to kill us. Did he ever he abuse, did he ever physically abuse you? There Other were moments guns at you. here and there yeah. where um, there was one moment when he had actually physically thrown me across a room into chairs, mm -hmm. but never to the extent that he abused my mother. Did anyone see signs that he was abusing you? I spoke to people in work. Yes, people in work knew what was going on, mm -hmm. and they did see signs. Mm -hmm. Did you tell them how bad it was, or were you afraid? At first, I didn't tell them, and as it was getting worse and it was progressing, I did start to tell them more. Mm -hmm. And I even, we even contacted a, a domestic hotline number. And after giving them all the, the specifics of the incident, they told me that the only way out of a relationship of the type that I was in was to actually disappear. I needed to save money and just disappear. Mm -hmm. Because he would find me no matter where I was. He worked in, in the, the crime scene unit in the New York Police Department. And he had access to all kinds of forensic work, so all kinds of access to find me if I was to go anywhere, and it wasn't an option. It was mm -hmm. just not an option. Had he threatened to kill you? Numerous times. He mm -hmm. held guns to my head numerous times. Mm -hmm. And so the question always is, why didn't you leave? I couldn't leave. 
There was no option to leave. I attempted to leave several times, mm -hmm. packed my children up, got in the car. He promised that he would find us, and he promised that he would take care of me and my children. No one would ever know it. No one, he would, and he'd go after my family, my brother, my sister, my parents. He would take care of everything, and he would definitely find me. And I knew that he would. Mm -hmm. There would be no incident, no doubt in my mind that he would. Yeah. And he... So how did you think this was going to end? At some point, and you know, I know one of the reasons why you wanted to do this is for all the women out there who are in some form of this. Absolutely. And you wanted to say to them, there's another way? Any signs. Con controlling is the, is the, the first sign yeah. of someone that is an abuser. Yeah. And most women in the beginning like it because they think it means he loves me so much that he Absolutely. doesn't want me to Absolutely. be around other people. And that's yeah. the first sign. Yeah. And that's the sign to get out. Mm -hmm. So I understand you told my producers that your husband had a secret life. Yes, he did. Yeah. What was that secret life? He would go out a lot and he actually didn't, didn't have the decency to have his own screen name or his own email address. So I would go on the computer and people started to IM me and I realized that what he's, he was doing was he was meeting people on the outside, but they were, um, they were transvestite people and that's what he was doing. And he, he felt that, I think he was using us as his cover, like I have the perfect family, wife, children, house, dog, mm -hmm. and this is where he wanted to actually be, mm -hmm. which isn't a problem. I mean, go and do what you want to do. Don't mm -hmm. abuse us over it, because mm -hmm. the abuse would get a lot worse when he did these things. Mm -hmm. So he would go out and, you know, go to bars or what? I, I don't know that. Mm -hmm. But I know that he was doing it. I have people that witnesses that he was doing this. Mm -hmm. And so do you think you should go to jail for this? How mm -hmm. can anyone go to jail mm -hmm. for, in, for defending themselves? Mm -hmm. But if I have to go to jail, then I'd be better off than where I was. And my children would be better off. And they're better off now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jennifer, what do you think? My mother is the nicest person that I know that I've ever met. She, like I said, it was a total shock to me that she would ever hurt anybody. Mm -hmm. She would never hurt anybody. And anyone who knows her knows that. And I'm so proud of her for what she did. She stood up for herself. And God knows I might not be, I probably wouldn't be alive today if it was the other way around. Really? So, um... Is there any part of you that misses your father? Absolutely not. You have to understand, I, we lived, my brother and I lived our lives in constant fear. We couldn't go out, I couldn't go to work and be at work because my mind was at home with my mom. Calling her, my brother I know would call her from college twice a day, like that's not what a 19 year old kid should do. Mm -hmm. And calling her, wondering where you are. If she wasn't answering the text messages, it was like I had to you know, take a walk, I had to call somebody else, to call a neighbor, I had a best friend that lived across the street. Is she home? What's going on, you know? It, it was constant fear my entire life. Mm -hmm. I don't, no part of me misses him. No part of you misses him. No. Would you say your life is better without him? My life is 150% better. And you feel that your life, even though you will have to come before a jury uh, soon, your life is better without him? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing your story. You know, we contacted the district attorney's office to see if they had something to say about Barbara's case, but they're unable to comment at this time. But I thank you for being here today. 
And thank you, Jennifer. Your message to women who are watching, though, because, you know, no one would have been able to say anything to you two years ago. I mean, if you were home and had yourself sitting in the chair right now, what could you have said that would have reached you? There was nothing that could have reached me because of the situation. Because it was the too fact, late for you. It was, it was, he was the police. Mm -hmm. He was the person that you're supposed to go to for help. Mm -hmm. This is what you deal with. So when you want to say what to, like to those people who you have an opportunity to reach today? Get out of a relationship as soon as the controlling starts. You need to get away because then don't stop and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. It got to a point where he didn't even care who saw it. He did it in front of my family. He didn't care if anyone saw what he was doing. And that's where I knew that it, the next step was he was going to kill me. Well, I'm glad you lived. Thank you so much. Thank you so Thank much you. for being here. Thank you both. Thank you. To outsiders, the Lannert family seemed to be happy. Tom was a successful financial consultant. Deb, his wife, was a stay-at-home mom. They had two daughters, Stacy and Christy. And as the girls grew up, their happy family started to fall apart. Tragically, also ending in murder. Growing up, I was daddy's little girl, and Christy was mom's little girl. My sister and I both felt very loved. My dad was my hero. He was like Superman to me, because if there was ever a problem, he fixed it. If there was anything I needed, he got it. And I just always felt like everything was right in the world when he was there. But Stacy says there was a dark side to her father that she couldn't bear to talk about. When Stacy turned eight years old, her father started molesting her. We would play a game, it's called Touch Tongues. Eventually that progressed to where he would have me touch his genitals. That progressed pretty quickly into oral sex. So he would um, use kind of like marshmallow cream to get me to perform oral sex on him. And that lasted for a while. When Stacy was nine, she says her father raped her for the first time. I had, I felt like he was just tearing me apart. So it felt like I was literally being ripped in half. And he was saying such hateful things to me and I didn't know how to, I didn't know what to do. It was, shattering. I didn't tell anyone because he had told me that my mom knew and that that's why she wasn't there. You know, somehow in my mind, I blamed her immediately like it was her fault. Stacy's parents divorced when she was 12. I became um, resentful even more so of my mother for leaving my dad and almost even took his side in the whole divorce. So she and her sister Christy chose to live with their dad and the abuse escalated. At some point in time, I separated my dad into two different people. I separated him into my dad and then into Tom, the man who would abuse me. Sometimes it would be anywhere from three times a week or I could have where it was almost all five days of the week. 
Years later, Stacy moved in with her mom, but when her sister called out for help, Stacy returned once more. I walked in the door, and there he was. He wound up throwing me down, and he raped me right there. And um, when he got done raping me, he kicked me. And I got smart probably for the first time ever. You know, I would fight sometimes, but this time I was going to fight. You're not, you're not going to touch me anymore. One month later, Stacy snuck into her father's house and shot him with a rifle twice. She and Christy waited hours before telling anyone he was dead. Detective Tom Schulte was one of the first officers to arrive on the scene. When I asked her if there had been any abuse in the family is when she initially broke down and started crying. I immediately confessed. I just wanted it all over with. I believe that she was raped by her father prior to the homicide. It was more of a, a revenge murder for the years of abuse. I wound up shooting him in the collarbone, and he sat up. All of a sudden, he just started yelling and calling Christy and I both whores, sluts, and wait till he gets up off this couch. I remember thinking, he can't, he can't get up, because if he gets up, he'll kill us. So I um, picked the gun back up, put it back on the ledge, and just closed my eyes and pulled the trigger. The second shot hit Stacy's father in the face, killing him. And I don't think I realized what was really happening, even though I was the one who was in control. Prosecutors don't believe Stacy's claims of abuse. They believe she murdered her father for money. She'd been forging his checks, using his credit cards, and stood to inherit nearly $100,000 from his estate. There's absolutely no evidence, and in fact, evidence to the contrary of him uh, sexually or physically abusing either her or uh, her sister, Christy. At the time she shot him, it wasn't for monetary gain. I think she just, you know, snapped and shot him. I think to protect the both of us, you know, she didn't have enough. She was tired of his crap, basically. Stacy was found guilty of murder in the first degree and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Her sister, Christy, pled guilty to conspiracy to commit murder and spent two and a half years behind bars. In January, after 18 years, Stacy's life sentence was commuted and she walked out of prison a free woman. Stacy's here today. That was January as we taped this show. This is uh, May, so it's been four, four months, months. Four months that you were mm -hmm. out of prison. How is it that you were released early? By the grace of God and the perseverance of two wonderful attorneys, mm -hmm. um, a police detective who never gave up, mm -hmm. a governor who had a lot of courage and perseverance, patience, and what, did they reopen your case, or what happened? No, I was commuted. Mm -hmm. I had a life without parole sentence, mm -hmm. and Governor Blunt commuted my sentence to 20 years. Mm -hmm. And we didn't ask for a 20-year commutation. We just asked that the without be removed, mm -hmm. because I wasn't ever supposed to be released from prison. Mm -hmm. I was supposed to die there. Mm -hmm. And I went through four governors before he finally gave me an answer. Mm -hmm. None of them gave me an answer. Nobody had a courage to say yes or no mm -hmm. either way. Did so you never gave up, or the two attorneys never gave up? A little both. There were times I gave up. 
<laughs> and as of December 25th, I really believed that we weren't going to receive an answer again and that I would spend the rest of my life in prison. Mm -hmm. So for 15 days, I thought, I'll be here forever. Mm -hmm. And um, no, I wasn't. Less than a month later, I walked out the door. What do you remember about the night of the murder? Mainly thinking, just want it to be over, and I just want it to end. As you were telling your story on tape, I was watching the faces of the audience, and I can feel you, the audience out there, and a lot of people were shocked when they heard that, number one, you were abused since you were eight, eight years old, raped when you were nine years old, and, you know, constantly abused by your father, and yet you chose to live with your father. Right. Why? Well, my parents divorced when I was 12. Yeah. And we got sent back and forth in between the two of them mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were times that he didn't hurt me. Mm -hmm. And my dad loved me. Mm -hmm. My father loved me, not the abuser who would rape me. And um, they really are the same people. They weren't in my mind. Mm -hmm. And there really wasn't a choice if I wanted to live with him or not. Mm -hmm. And at the time, mom started a new life. But I ask you this question as somebody who has been abused, just to try to, because I saw your faces, right? You're all thinking, why would she go back to live with the father? That is how diabolical abuse is, because most, in most cases in this country, you are being abused by somebody who loves you right. and somebody that you love. And so there, that's why it destroys so many lives and so many women are destroyed by the shame of it the guilt of it, and everything else that comes along with it, because he's your father, he loves you, you love him, and yet he is... The one who hurts you, too. Yeah. And also the thing that is often never said, and you just touched on this a bit, often never said that many times when there is this abuse going on, it is sexual and there are sexual feelings, and sexual feelings are good feelings if somebody is a good abuser. A lot of times we wind up even receiving more victimization because of the choices that we make. Right. Like it is that, why did you stay? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And my life was hell, you know, and I was struggling just to be able to survive mm -hmm. every day. And then, you know, after the fact, I have to face answers of why I didn't do this and why I didn't do that. And they're, they're harsh. Mm -hmm. Was he also abusing your sister? No, my father was physically abusive to my sister, and um, I felt like I was protecting her by taking the sexual abuse mm -hmm. in some strange way. Mm -hmm. I understand that. You do? Yeah, okay. I really do. I really do. Yeah. All right. So you would let him abuse you sexually so that he wouldn't abuse her sexually. Right. I, I really... felt like I was protecting her mm -hmm. somehow, and, you know, if he'd hit her, I just thank God that that's what all it was. Yeah. I really understand that. You know, one of my abusers was a boyfriend to uh, an, an adult cousin of mine, and he used to physically abuse her, like knock her down the stairs. And as a kid, I would see her, you know, brutally beaten. And once he knocked her down the stairs, and she took him back. And he was one of my abusers. And I remember doing the exact same thing, making a bargain with him that if you sexually abuse me, you won't hit her as much, so I, I really do understand. Thank you. Really do understand. So is it true that your father was asleep when you shot him? Yes, he was passed out. 
I didn't know he was passed out in my head when I went back into the house. And I thought I heard a sound. But if he was passed out, how could he say, then I'm going to get you? Well, he sat up in the shots. chair. Yeah. Right. And in between the first, I sh the, when I shot him the first time, when I was downstairs, I thought I heard him. Mm -hmm. So I took the gun upstairs, and I had this mindset, this is going to end. It's going to end. It's going to stop. And when I got up there and he was passed out, I think I already had my mind. I don't think I could talk myself out of it. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't. You talk yourself out of killing him? Scaring him. Scaring him. I wanted him to stop. I wanted him to know we're leaving and I can stand up to you. So I didn't ever really make a conscious choice. I guess somewhere in my mind I did. Mm -hmm. But I wanted him to know that I could fight against him. Do you think your mother knew? I think that in their hearts, every mother has some type of idea. And she confronted him quite a few times. And he would tell me that she knew. So for some reason, I just blamed her automatically. Mm -hmm. And we work really hard today <laughs> to have a relationship and find that forgiveness and that love for one yeah. another. And she's there now. She's there now. Yeah. Did I believe that she was being abused? Yes, I do. But uh, the uh, sentence that Stacy had in the time in jail was right on, right on the money. She had killed her father. She needed to take some time and responsibility for that, for that act. And that was enough, though. But life without the possibility of parole was, was, was too much. That was Detective Tom Schulte, one of the first officers to talk with Stacy after the murder. He also helped get her life sentence commuted. You think you should have served time? Yes. You yes. do? Mm-hmm. I do. Why? Because I did break one of society's rules. Mm -hmm. And so you render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Mm -hmm. And I did. Mm -hmm. So. Because do you think now you had, obviously, other alternatives? Why didn't you all just run away? When you were saying you were, you were going to teach him a lesson or you wanted to scare him, why didn't you just run away? Well, there was nowhere to run to. There was nowhere to run to. And I didn't feel like there was anywhere I could go that he couldn't find me. Mm -hmm. I mean, he would tell us how he, he would tell me how he would find us. Mm -hmm. You know, the car was registered in his name. He could track me through his social security card number. Mm -hmm. um, and he would just tell me how he could find me. And I believed him. Mm -hmm. So why did you want to tell your story today? I think that secrets lose their power when they're shared. And I think that for a lot of women who are abused, every woman who's been abused thinks at one point in time, I'm going to kill you. And there's power in the thought, but not in the actual act itself. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think people understand that. Now, not only do I have the shame and guilt of what he did to me, I also have the shame and guilt of my actions. And it's been a long, hard road to forgive myself and him. Mm -hmm. Have you had therapy to deal with this? No. no. <laughs> I wish I had. But they really don't offer a lot of therapy in prison now. <laughs> right. You would think that they would, but they yeah. really don't. They put you on medication, and I had no desire to be medicated. I spent half my life not feeling. Mm -hmm. This rest half is mine, and I want to feel. But I do think that the Courage to Heal workbook Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah, it's been my Bible, sort of, and um, it's helped me heal so much. I've been through it about five times now, mm -hmm. and I just love it. And being able to be open and talk about it and having other abuse survivors reach out to me has mm -hmm. just been 
amazing, mm -hmm. amazing. And it set me free mm -hmm. in a way that you wouldn't believe. Where do you put that, that relationship with your father? You shot and killed your father. You said here a moment ago, your father loved you, teared up when you were saying that, because you can differentiate between the father who loved you and the father who was your abuser. Where, do you, where is that in your mind now? In my mind, it's all together. I've finally been able to fuse the two of them. I had to in order to forgive myself for the act that I had because there were moments that I missed my father. You know, you miss that person that you feel like you can go to and they'll make everything okay in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, I just, I had to find that forgiveness for both. And have you forgiven him? Yes, I had to forgive him in order to be able to forgive myself. And when you say forgive, what does that mean? Because that's still hard for so many people. It is. There's a difference in between forgiving and forgetting. Yeah. And I have to forgive him for his actions so that he'll forgive me for mine. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but if I don't forgive, then I'm in prison. And it might not be a physical prison, but it's a psychological prison. And, you know, I was incarcerated and I was free in my heart. And like I've always said before, the rest was just geography. <laughs> so now my body's finally caught up with my mind mm -hmm. because I did find that forgiveness, both for him and for me. I heard you told the producers that prison was one of the best things that could have happened to you. Why? Prison was one of the best things that could happen to me because it made me face myself. I couldn't run away from my past mm -hmm. at all when you're surrounded by four little white walls. And I had to tell what happened to me by him so that hopefully I could get out of there and have a real life. Mm -hmm. And um, whew, it's not hard to face a million people and say, my father raped me. Mm -hmm. And but the compassion and the encouragement and support that I've been met with from other women who went through the same thing mm -hmm. just really made me feel like I wasn't alone, even though I was physically. Mm -hmm. So. The prosecutors say, oh, yeah. yeah, that yeah. you did this because you wanted money, because you were forging checks mm -hmm. and doing other things. What do you say to that? I had his permission mm -hmm. to use the account. I wasn't working at the time, and he didn't want me working. It was a way of him isolating me. And I just think that every person in America is entitled to their own opinion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thank God for it. Thank God we live in a country where they are. And I can't judge them. God will. Mm -hmm. So was it hard being free? No, no. It, was it hard to adjust to being free at first? Um, the hardest thing about freedom is the bathrooms. I don't think people will understand that I've never seen an automated bathroom, and I didn't know how they worked. <laughs> so the first time I stood up, I was in for quite a surprise. But <laughs> I had no idea. You mean when it automatically flushes? Yes, when yeah. it automatically flushes. And um, the soap, I can't get it together, and um, so I still have a little bit of a hassle with it. But no, everything else, you know, compared to where I've been. Yeah, and I hear you still ask for permission to do everything. Like I do. you're at a restaurant and you say, May I go to the bathroom? I do. I ask for permission all the time. And um, when we leave here, I'll probably ask you if it's OK if I leave. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I need to learn how to break that. It doesn't really seem real to me yet, mm -hmm. yet. But I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And um, I'm so happy about it. And I can't believe I got this second chance at life. So I'm just excited. So what do you want for your life now? I would love, after spending 18 years in prison, I, so you were 18, so it makes you 36. Right. Mm -hmm. I want to help end sexual abuse in America. 
by putting a voice to it, helping other women find their voice, um, talking about what happened to me, and making it okay for others to talk about what happened to them. So I've been pretty busy, and hopefully we can make a change. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah show, The Podcast. And I thank you for listening.